Well, we're doing our cold open right now, so this is your chance to shine, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, well, I mean, I, I went to see Glass on uh, opening weekend there about, uh, I think it was like a week, maybe two weeks ago. Like, going into it, I had stayed clear of any any information about uh, the twist, and, you know, I didn't know what was coming. Uh, but I did know that a lot of the critics who had got advanced access to it uh, hated it. And it ended up getting like 38% on Rotten Tomatoes. So I was mildly intrigued going into it. I'm like, what could have, what could Shyamalan have done that merited this kind of response? Um, but I actually, I didn't hate it. That's the thing. I feel like I, I'm one of a, a small kind of contingent of half-hearted defenders of the movie. And I, I sort of feel like the movie might grow on people with subsequent rewatches. Oh, well, I guess that's kind of how... I feel about Venom and Aquaman. I don't know, though, but it, I had a different feeling about this than I did with Aquaman. I feel like... Well, it's a completely uh, different film. Well, yes, but like uh, I didn't feel that there was quite the same animosity towards Aquaman going in. Like Everyone just kind of... <laughs> True. The bar was low. That Yeah, the bar was low to start, but then the consensus seemed to be that like people acknowledged its flaws, but generally agreed that it was a fun time. And in this one, there was like, I don't know, maybe 70% of the people, at least the pro critics who were seeing it, uh, loathed it and thought that it was a complete failure. And it let down anyone who got excited about Split being the secret sequel to Unbreakable. So I don't know, the maybe people got overly, they got their expectations up overly high when Split was like, you know, Split has its problems, but it, uh, but it is entertaining enough um, and not definitely not a letdown compared to unbreakable and i don't feel it split it i don't feel it uh, glass is either but i think people expected more from it than maybe it it could provide a lot of people focused on like whether or not the twist was satisfying whether shyamalan had built in enough foreshadowing but the point of this episode as we'll get into is uh not movies like glass that uh are very divisive because glass is probably not going to be nominated for any Oscars at all, and that's the topic of today's episode. I was just going to say the awards are can be divisive as well. Well, yes, and we'll get into that. Uh, I'm sure we'll there'll be a, few, a couple of points that we disagree on. Um, but yeah, uh, with uh, without any further ado, let's start the show. Welcome back to the Extra Buttery Podcast. This is episode two of our 2019 season. I'm Jason Chen, and with me is my co-host, Robert Snow. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Doing pretty good. I'm uh, planning to make some banana bread once I finish recording this, so it's... uh, uh, (laughs) Let's stay focused here. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) This is award season, Rob. Four days ago, the nominations for the Academy Awards were announced, and in this episode, you and I are going to go through basically all of the categories. Mm-hmm. It's been a really interesting year with no clear standout, so there's a couple interesting races leading up to it. There are more than a few questionable picks, I think, especially this year, but Rob and I will certainly go through the entire thing and make sure we pick out the snubs, the favorites, and maybe a couple movies that probably shouldn't be there. So without any further ado, let's go. Best picture. All right. Best picture. So the, you know, I would say the nominations here, probably no surprises in terms of what actually got picked. Um, yes. Pro- probably the bigger discussion is over what didn't get picked. Um, but we've got Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, Roma, 
A Star is Born and Vice. Probably the one that I feel really doesn't belong there at all is Vice. Um, I, I had a very, very lukewarm response to Vice. I feel like a lot of people did. But I think it's kind of getting in there on the strength of... Christian Bale's performance, I think. Christian Bale's performance, yeah. And maybe the fact that, like, you know, The Big Short was a big Oscar darling a few years ago. Yeah, I think, for me, Vice and Green Book are definitely the two that just don't really belong. Mm-hmm. The one film that I thought should belong here, since Green Book and Vice are on here, is If Beale Street Could Talk. Yeah. I think that's a far superior film than either of those. And Ethan Hawke's first reformed, I've heard really good things. But have you seen that one? Oh yeah, that's that's so good. I yeah. saw that at TIFF uh, two festivals ago, actually. So it's been it's been like in the conversation for a while. Um, but because of yes, the, it just got released too. Yeah, early. but but yeah, because of the way the releasing worked, it was only eligible for this upcoming Oscars. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's it's a shame not to see it there because. I went into it with no real expectations because Paul Schrader, the writer-director, has had a off-and-on, very uh, messy relationship with uh, success, <laughs> uh, to put it to put it mildly. Uh, but he he really delivers on all fronts with First Reformed, and yeah, it's I really feel that Vice kind of stole its spot from a movie like First Reformed. Yeah, I, I really don't get this wave of support for Vice. I, I really don't. Um, to me, it's a two-horse race. It's between Roma and A Star is Born. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting thing about Roma is that they are pushing out a huge, huge campaign for Roma. Apparently, it's in $25 million. Yeah, they, they're really investing hard in it. Yeah, Which is the most a movie has spent since The Social Network. Mm-hmm. And if you remember, it got lots of uh, a lot of nominations, but it, it lost out in the big three. So that was Best Picture, Best Actor, and Best Director. Um, they all lost to the King's Speech. So I feel like A Star is Born is the favorite, but I don't know. I, I feel like Roma might win just yeah. this uh, category, which is would be a cultural landmark. Uh, yeah, it would be cool to see Roma get it. And obviously, you know, like you said, um, a huge, huge win for Netflix as a production company, you know, finally kind of grabbing the top prize uh, after several years of, you know, fighting the movie establishment mm-hmm. on various fronts to be taken seriously as like a, a real production company and studio i can't can't say yet there's still a few guild awards to come in the next week uh, that will really cement uh, the front runners um but and uh, that'll be that's what i'm waiting on before i write up my annual predictions list <laughs> i think it's gonna be uh roma and the stars born that's the two horses yeah. and yeah. if those two films cancel each other out though that will be really interesting because then it's kind of wide open um, yeah, and we are dealing with preferential balloting here. I mean, one yes. thing that uh, the casual viewers at home may often forget is that this is the one category where a movie needs to reach uh, over 50% of total votes uh, in an effort to claim the, the top prize. But then uh, when you're actually filling out your best picture ballot, you're asked to choose uh, second, third, fourth, fifth, and so on and so on choices in terms of how much you prefer them to win. And so if a movie does not reach... Uh, the fifty percent on the first time around, uh, it yeah, people are people's votes naturally go over to the second or the third place uh, finisher and top them up. Yeah, it's a very um, unnecessarily complicated system, in my opinion. Yep. I yep. think if those two cancel each other, I don't know. Black Klansman is a dark horse. I think it's gaining a bit of steam. But uh, moving on to best directing, because this is kind of Adam McKay is nominated for best director here 
And because I didn't like Vice this much, I don't like that they gave him this mm-hmm. spot. I think Barry Jenkins for Beale Street could be here. I think Ryan Coogler could be here. And the big one is uh, I think Bradley Cooper should be here too. Yeah, and like the fact that they, you know, that that could be the the Oscars essentially saying that like, hey, you know, Bradley Cooper's got his movies uh, represented in a lot of categories. We don't really feel that he deserves uh, to get in for a debut feature. And, you know, so there could be a little bit of pettiness there. Um, but <laughs> Classic. It, it is strange, though, to see, you know, uh, again, two foreign language films so well represented in the top categories. Um, not to say anything negative about Quaron's work in Roma or Paolo Palikowski's work for Cold War. But, um, yeah, the, the fact that, like, McKay is in there, again, it's, it's a puzzling choice. Um, and actually, the absence of Peter Farrelly... Uh, for Green Book in this category is interesting, namely because I th- I think the numbers back me up on this. It's very rare for a, a movie to win Best Picture if its director hasn't been nominated in the directing category. Right. So the fact the fact that Farrelly is here or isn't here kind of hurts Green Book's chances uh, for Best Picture. I don't think Green um, Book has a chance anyway. There 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 has been some like. Uh, a small groundswell of support for him, uh, at least coming out of TIFF, uh, because I think I'm pretty sure it, it ran away from TIFF with the People's Choice Award, which is, his, yes. again, historically another predictor of of the Best Picture winner. But yeah, the if he's not nominated here, that kind of hurts hurts the overall chances of Green Book, and I would say swings it closer to A Star is Born. Last year, the conversation was all about The Shape of Water, like would Del Toro uh, win for Best Director and would... Shape of Water win for Best Picture turned out yes for both, but there was some a similar discussion over um, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, and the fact that Martin McDonough, the director of Three Billboards, wasn't nominated in the directing category, uh, and that's some people took that as a suggestion that Three Billboards didn't have the the enough energy behind it uh, in terms of popular support to get Best Picture, and it turned out mm-hmm. that it didn't. Right, I, I think Quran has this. Uh, category locked up to even if Roma doesn't win best picture but I do think Spike Lee and Yorgos Lanthimos for the favorite are two of my personal favorites in this category I don't know it's still a uh, I would say it's like a three horse race at this point between those three guys yeah Quaron Lanthimos and Lee like the fact that yeah. this is Lee's first nomination ever in the category after years of of I would say overall outstanding work you know yeah it's not even whether, his best film that's the problem it's not right? his best for i know but that yeah it's not not obviously not the first time that that would happen in any category yes um but the yeah i feel like sometimes these awards they have a habit of going to people who have you know put in a body of great work across their career and then you know even though the the thing that they're actually nominated for isn't the best piece that's kind of like oh hey we're also recognizing all the other stuff you did that we never <laughs> gave you an award for best actress or best actor yeah well actually let's go with actress okay, um so we've got uh, yelitsa apparicio for roma uh-huh. uh glenn close for the wife olivia coleman for the favorite lady gaga for a star is born and melissa mccarthy for can you ever forgive me mm-hmm. and i would say you know, gun to my head again. The SAG awards aren't uh, being announced for uh, a few more days yet, but uh, it's really down to Coleman and McCarthy at this point. Oh, really? Yeah, there was some initial talk that Lady Gaga would uh, would kind of surge ahead just on the partially in the strength of you know being a a great performer and uh, celebrity in her own right outside of being you know in uh, in, in this movie and uh, doing a turn as a dramatic actress. But um, I feel like. 
right now the conversation is really centering over McCarthy and uh, and Coleman. Okay, so my personal pick would be Olivia Coleman. I think she's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think there are kind of three snubs here. One is Emily Blunt for Mary Poppins. I thought mm-hmm. she was great. I'm a little surprised Claire Foy isn't here. Mm-hmm. And I'm also a little hurt that Kiki Lane, who plays the feet, female lead in if beale street could talk was not here too because i thought she was fantastic i don't know i feel like this is a two horse race again between glenn close and lady gaga just based on what's happened previously i don't know how i feel about this category i feel like there's multiple vote splits here it's a it's a weird one you know the presence of yelitsa aparicio in from roma i mean she's a she's never acted before in her life prior to being cast in in Roma and it's it's great because i mean she does wonderful work in Roma but it's it, it's hard to see the academy springing and give uh, springing up and giving this to her not only for like her first nomination but her first ever performance yeah so that i think that's happened before but it's very rare but i also don't think her performance is better than any of the other actresses no yeah so yeah. I, th- I think it's fantastic that she's there, but to me, I'm kind of rooting for Olivia Coleman. The, the favorite is a bit of a weird one for Oscar love when you really think about it. You know, it's unconventionally shot with all those fisheye uh, angles on the lenses, um, this kind of weird mix of a very Lanthimos mix of dark comedy and drama. It's it really isn't the kind of movie that the Academy would normally go for, but uh, this is a this is a weird year. You know, you're seeing a lot of foreign films make it into the top categories in ways that they don't normally. Yeah, I feel like Coleman's Coleman's chances are pretty strong right now. Best actor, I feel like Christian Bale has this on a lockdown. Oh, you do? I kind of do. I don't. I think the closest runner up is maybe Rami Malek or maybe Willem Dafoe, but I don't know. I do you think it's going to Bradley Cooper then? That that's that's a tough one. I mean, he's been nominated for he's had four nominations in various other categories. Yeah, um, he's never won, so that that definitely uh, gives him a little bit of an edge, especially considering that Christian Bale does already have a best supporting trophy uh, for the fighter. But this is not the supporting category anymore. This is the big leagues. I just I think Bale's performance is so fantastic because he shows so much range as an actor mm-hmm. and he's so convincing. Like it's such a physical role for him. Not taking anything from Rami Malek, who I think is number two, a clear number two in this one. The two guys, actually three snubs I have to kind of pick out are John David Washington for Black Klansman. I thought mm-hmm. he was really good. Stefan James for Beale Street. Because that movie without those two leads, Stefan James and Kiki Lane, that movie doesn't work at all. No. Definitely not. And Ethan Hawke again for First Reformed. Yes. Yeah. If, if you weren't going to mention that, I was going to. Because, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's probably one of the best performances of his whole career. But Bale is like the, the physical transformation, the prosthetics. He plays like a historical figure. It's a movie that is very beloved by a certain demographic in California and Hollywood. I just don't really see an upset there. I see the potential, but I don't see it. Best Supporting Actress. Best Supporting Actress. So we've got Amy Adams in here, who normally I would be totally gunning for because it's a crime that she hasn't won anything yet. There's two vote splits in this um, category. That's that's the interesting part. Amy, Amy Adams' uh, role in Vice is very small, and she really doesn't have a lot yes. of chances to shine. So I don't feel like she's a strong, strong enough presence to really take it. But I would almost argue the same for Regina King. I think she had some screen time on Beale Street, but it was very sparse, I still feel like. It was like when Michelle Williams was in uh, Manchester by the Sea. Like, it was a strong performance, Mm -hmm. but she wasn't in it all that much. The first vote split is going to be between Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz. 
And if neither of these win, I think that's a shame. I think at least one of them should get the trophy. Yeah. Although they both of them have previously won for other categories. So like um, Rachel Weiss has already won Best Supporting once before uh, for The Constant Gardener. And Emma Stone, of course, won very recently in uh, Best Actress for La La Land. I kind of hate how they take into past, like, history into this. I think you should just give it to the best person. No, I know. Best I performance know. every year. It, yeah, it's so lame how they do that. And even though even though I'm, I'm sounding very confident about that, you know, that's just based on observing past contests. You know, it's... Uh, uh-huh. It's very rare for uh, for individual uh, previous winners to repeat so close together. Best Supporting Actor, I think this is one of the harder ones, too, because there's a lot of things you have to consider. Mm-hmm. There's uh, Mahershala Ali for The Green Book. His stock is going crazy. Adam Driver for Black Klansman. I'm glad he got a nod because he's really good. Sam Rockwell in Vice is the one that bothers me most because he's not in it that much, and I didn't find his com- performance co- particularly compelling. I think he was never one of the two best actors in any scene. No, and, and you know, I will always go to bat for, for uh, just like uh, Amy Adams in uh, Best Supporting, I'll always go to bat for Sam Rockwell. I love him as an actor. I will see pretty much anything he's in. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, he again, he just like Amy Adams in that same movie, he doesn't have a lot of presence on screen. Um, his performance is a you know, reasonable approximation of George W. Bush, but um, it doesn't feel like anything more than something he would do on like SNL. Right. Yeah. I don't think it was a, if it was an impersonation, I don't think it was very good. If it was interpretation, I, I would get it a lot more. Um, there's also Richard E. Grant for Can You Ever Forgive Me? Mm-hmm. And this is the sneaky one. This is Sam Elliott, his first nomination ever for A Star is Born. Yeah. So this guy, again, kind of like Glenn Close might get, you know, the Lifetime Achievement Award. The only thing I kind of want to add about this is instead of Sam Rockwell, I think Michael B. Jordan in Black Panther should have gotten some consideration here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I almost think that, like, it would have been it would have been a better idea to put um, Michael B. Jordan in here in place of, like, Mahershala Ali or Sam Rockwell, who have both won the same trophy very recently. I think Mahershala Ali belongs in this category because I liked his performance, but Sam Rockwell, not so much. Yeah. All right. Two of our favorite categories now: best original screenplay. Yes. So we've in this one we've got uh, the favorite, first reformed, Green Book, Roma, and Vice. Vice again, baffling choice. Definitely stole stole a, a position in here because one of the worst things about the the entirety of Vice is its screenplay, in my view. Okay, so I kind of disagree with you here. I think if any, if Vice was to be up for any award, I think this is it. Really. I th- yeah, because I think they took a very divisive historical person in a very messy political time and distilled it into a movie. I don't think it was particularly effective, but I think I do give it some props for um, knowing how difficult it can be. That being said, I do agree because that spot should be taken by Sorry to Bother You or 8th Grade. Oh, yeah, definitely 8th Grade. But the interesting thing, this is Paul Schrader's first nomination so I feel like first reform, maybe this is the film that wins best original screenplay, even though it's not up for best picture. Yeah. Like kind of like a makeup call. That's a, a very frequent role that this category occupies. You know, it yes. it's kind of like the makeup prize for people who can't quite make the best picture or best director um, yeah. for one reason or another, because, you know, they're not quite as popular or fewer people have seen them. And if you're going to nominate Vice for being different, being edgy, being able to adapt something that's hard to adapt 
how about sorry to bother you? Like the the guy who actually came up with this screenplay and then like thought it would work on screen, like it takes a lot of risks in its film and it works. And I think it should get a lot of prop for that. Yeah, most definitely. Who's your pick? I think I would go with the favorite or Roma here. Right now I'm going to go with First Reformed. I haven't checked the uh, Writers Guild Awards yet. I don't know when those are being announced. I have. It's probably in the next couple of weeks um, because that will most likely lock things in. Best Adapted Screenplay. So we got Black Klansman, If Beale Street Could Talk, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, A Star is Born, and Can You Ever Forgive Me? This is a tough category. The only one film that I would throw in here and only because Black Panther kind of baffling to me got a best picture nomination is Crazy Rich Asians like Mm -hmm. if you're gonna pander to you know the popular film quote-unquote popular film crowd (laughs) should maybe Crazy Rich Asians like this is like the only category it legitimately could be nominated for and you could you know be somewhat make it somewhat defensible but my pick for this one is probably Black Klansman. Yeah, I would say, you know, especially uh, since um, a lot of the discussion coming out of uh, Black Klansman when it first came out was that a lot of people kind of acknowledged that the book that uh, Spike Lee uh, and his co-writers adapted was apparently very boring. It just was like it was very uh, obsessed with the procedural quality of the investigation that's depicted in the movie. And um, uh, one of the and Spike Lee turned it into something completely different. That takes a lot of skill. And I don't know if you if you ever watch those uh, Hollywood Reporter uh, roundtable uh, discussions that they post on mm-hmm. YouTube. Uh, they're each about an hour long. But Spike Lee was invited to the director's one this year. And he essentially said that it's a very, very tricky balancing act in this particular case uh, to to know how much he humor to include in something like yes. that because that's what vice stumbled with when adam mckay was working with the big short he had something that you know it was a topic the the financial collapse in 2007 2008 which had obviously caused a lot of damage to a lot of uh, families and uh, that kind of thing but he found that balance of telling jokes or uh, satirizing evil misdeeds without making it seem overly politicized or mean-spirited but i feel like in vice he he kind of falls off the wagon a little bit and do you know why i have a theory about this okay shoot i think vice does not work as a comedy because the big short there's like a, a sense of triumph right like Christian Bale as a hedge fund guy, his bet finally pays off. Mm-hmm. Certain people go to jail, even though it's not like the result they want. But anyway, the thing, the problem with Vice is that there's no clear protagonist in there. Like, there's no real person you really root for. No. no. So at, at the entire film, you're you're kind of feeling miserable the whole time, and so the humor's heavy-handed, the jokes don't stick. It's too bleak for a dark comedy. The next category is not difficult at all. It's best animated and. Like, no question, I think this goes to Spider-Verse. You think? Because there was a few reports saying that the animation block was going to vote against it. Why? Because of the labor dispute? No, apparently it's it's got more to do with the fact that the animation block currently, and this is, you know says a lot about the the industry um, <laughs> right now but the the animation block is is overwhelmingly populated by animators who work in CG animation right um, okay. and traditional like Pixar style okay. uh, CG animation so that's why we've seen so many examples of like a great stop-motion animated film like uh, Kubo and the two strings flunk out compared to a big DreamWorks style production there is some talk that like spider-verse as wonderful as it is and and like how how the animation drives the story in the way that it does, it may still 
flunk out compared to Ralph Breaks the Internet or Incredibles 2. Okay, so I just two things I want to say about that. I can't remember who I picked that year, but I don't think Kubo and the Two Strings should have won Best Animated Feature. Oh, no, it didn't uh, win. That's my point. Okay, yeah. But it's not based because the artwork wasn't strong or the animation wasn't good. It was because the story itself wasn't strong. Um, that's the kind of the same problem with Transformers, which is like a Travis Knight problem, but that's another thing altogether. <laughs> I just think of these five films in the category, Spider-Man has, keep in mind, I, I haven't seen Mirai. I think Spider-Man has the best mix of animation and storytelling. Mm-hmm. I don't think Incredibles 2 had a good story. No. I don't think Ralph, Wreck-It Ralph 2 um, was in the same quality as Spider-Man. So I would be surprised and it would suck if people were petty and didn't vote for Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Unquestionably, it is my want to win um, and should win yeah. uh, pick for uh, for this contest. I think I would be perversely unsurprised if it did go to one of the bigger the bigger names. Um, <laughs> <laughs> perversely unsurprised. I like it. <laughs> but I, I, I will shout out I Love Dogs too because uh, it's a Wes Anderson right. film and of you, know, you know obviously I'm going to go go to bat for it but what Wes Anderson is doing in I Love Dogs is more of an iteration of what he already did in Fantastic Mr. Fox um, and the I would say the Sp- Spider-Verse is still uh, the more successful of the two emotionally and all of that um best doc this is kind of your wheelhouse well, well you say that but i haven't seen a single cat a single entrant in the category <laughs> okay all right okay well let's skip this then because i haven't seen any of these either no um but i will say two things i'm surprised that three identical strangers and won't you be my neighbor are not on here. yeah that was yeah that was kind of dominating the conversation when the when the nominations came out the only thing that i'll add is that i've heard a lot of good things about free solo it seems to be the one you know the the doc category usually has a pretty clear front runner every yep. year and i feel like if you had to pick one this year it would be free solo but i'm going to try to see at least a couple of them to uh at least you know uh, <laughs> inform do my, ourselves do my homework you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> best foreign film this is an interesting category does roma win this category even if it doesn't win best picture you know it might because oftentimes what really uh, gives the foreign language film the the edge is not quality of the film, but how many people see it. And if you've got to pick... Unfortunate, yes. Unfortunate, but yes. So if you've got to pick a, a movie here that has the most likelihood of having been seen by the voting blocks, it would be Roma just because Netflix distributed it. It had done the festival run, so a lot of people, a lot of festival goers had seen it. And then it got a brief theatrical release in a couple of major centers, New York and Los Angeles. And then, of course, it hit... Netflix itself in December and yeah I would I would argue that a lot of people saw it and um, you know I think some people might just cast their vote for it because they haven't seen Shoplifters or Cold War or Capernaum or Never Look Away yeah so I think Roma is my pick to win this I would vote for Shoplifters but I am surprised that Burning was in here yeah a few people thought that like it would kind of come down to shoplifters versus burning. I feel like both of those films were kind of going toe to toe in other contests at like uh, the Berlin Film Festival and um, Cannes. I think maybe the the overall like uplifting tone of shoplifters seems to be connecting with people more than the very ambiguous and dark uh, connotations of burning. As as great as burning is, shoplifters is pretty dark. It, yeah, it's dark, but it ends with a kind of uh, sense of hopefulness that maybe the it's a little more bittersweet. Yes. Yeah, the, the characters may actually be re- reunited at some point in the future, you know, after the movie is over. 
whereas burning kind of leaves you with a sense of like oh wow people are terrible to each other uh cinematography we've got the favorite roma stars born never look away and cold war this is again this is again a tricky one yeah i agree last year it was definitely a clear winner in Roger Deakins, uh, both on the strength of the movie that he was nominated for, yes. uh, Blade Runner 2049, but also it being his four- 14th nomination and first win ever. Love it. Uh, so, but this year it's a, it's a bit messier because we have a lot of great work from people who may, maybe have not won the trophy before. If you had to pick, would it be between The Favorite or Roma? Maybe Roma. Black and white stuff does, does connect with people in this category. The Favorite, uh, obviously with uh, a lot of their... The, the, that fisheye perspective on a lot of the yeah the lighting they use in that film it's and incredible. the look of the film the lighting yeah a lot of connections in the favorite to uh, Barry Lyndon the uh, right. Stanley Kubrick film the, you know use of use of natural light and candlelight and stuff like that which uh, always makes period films feel more authentic and uh, and lived in but yeah I, th- I don't this is this is going to be hard uh, the <laughs> I could also see Matthew Libatique. Uh-huh. Picking it up for Stars Born, he has been nominated twice but hasn't won. Ah, he's still got more losses to go before he can win. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like the Deacons rule: you have to be nominated yeah, like ten times exactly. before you're even a contender. Exactly. Best editing: Black Klansman, The Favorite, Bohemian Rhapsody, Green Book, and Vice. Mm-hmm. Again, Vice doesn't belong in here because I think the editing was poor. Yeah, exactly. I think it killed the story. The editing was so frenetic and so like nonsensical it killed it killed the film at certain moments my pick or like who i would vote for would be black clansman because i think the strength of that film is the way spike lee edited that film creating a lot of tension Mm -hmm. and obviously the things that he can just slip in about black history and black power and equality and racism my second pick would probably be the favorite Mm-hmm. Um, I just like the way Lanthimos cut the film and it's very edited, well edited. It's it's one of those movies that's kind of like split into segments, but they all kind of come together at the end and you get what he's trying to do. What do you think of this category? Yeah, I would agree with you. I would say it's kind of coming down to Black Klansman and The Favorite for me. Mm-hmm. I would say that Green Book or Bohemian Rhapsody, you know, if those movies are going to win it, it's only going to be because they're sweeping the other categories and they're, it's all kind of being uh, gathered up in it as part of a larger hall of awards. Yeah, I don't think they were edited that very that well either, though. No, I mean, there's nothing really outstanding about Green Book. It was it was well assembled. You know, it didn't drag in any point, but um, uh, ah, it kind of did at some some points. I think there was nothing showy about the editing. Yeah. I feel like this category really attracts people uh, who for whom the editing kind of jumps out and, and is like, oh, I see what the editing is doing there. Like last year's example was Dunkirk. You know, the Dunkirk made a big show of what editing yes. can do and how it could be so instrumental to the the actual structure of the movie and keeping a lot of threads together and not, and not letting the audience get confused. Best sound editing. A Quiet Place should run away with this? Am I crazy? Or is it First Man? Because it uses sound so much to tell a story, right? Yeah. Like every beat you hear, every thing you hear is very important i would say yeah i would say those are the two front runners i think maybe maybe first man might get it um only because it's the more serious of the two movies and the academy does not have a very strong uh reaction to uh sci-fi horror thriller genre stuff but they're generally pretty respectable about film set in space and how it uses sound yeah so i think uh you know even though a quiet place does some fantastic stuff with with sound editing and arguably like 
it's one of the one of the most um, visible um, uh-huh. parts of the movie. Um, the fact that it's a genre film probably will will uh, disqualify it in a way. So First Man will will take it. I think if uh, uh, if I had to to make a guess, if First Man doesn't win Best Sound Editing, I think it should win for Best Sound Mixing. Mm-hmm. It's this one or Bohemian Rhapsody. I think Bohemian Rhapsody, the way it intertwines music even though it's very cliched they do a very good job of doing that mm-hmm. but first man like you've got space with the lack of sound you got building tension you got quiet moments you got some loud moments we didn't get like a war film this year right so this is kind of as close as we get with like explosions and rocket ships and stuff <laughs> the way they're layering things in and taking sounds that are actually like apparently they they mixed in sounds of like animals roaring into the some of the the liftoff sequences. Oh, I heard that somewhere. I, I can't remember which animals. I think it was like maybe a bear and a camel or something. Um, <laughs> it's like an ostrich. But yeah, but but things like that <laughs> that will that you can't actually identify in the moment, but um, build the the whole tapestry of sound in the movie. And especially too, considering that First Man is so um, so many sequences where it's just the soundtrack and there's no dialogue or the music is very quiet and we're just kind of looking at these images and hearing the kind of sonic landscape and stuff that's that's really where that movie shines best original song now we're getting into nitty-gritty this is these are kind of the categories i kind of like but rob for some reason hates these well i don't hate them i just like i feel like they are they are hard to accurately predict, and I, w- I feel like we have this conversation every year. But we have we have stuff like the Writers Guild and the Screen Actors Guild, the Directors Guild. Those those uh, contests help you predict the Oscars. And if the goal is to pr- ac- accurately predict, then those are the the ones you focus on. Uh, I'm not I'm not going to knock these categories. I feel like they're important categories, and obviously people put in a lot of fantastic work. Um, but yeah, I just don't get as interested in them. <laughs> That's too bad because I. I really like these. I think these are the categories where you really have to trust your own judgment. And if you're familiar with music and sound, then I think most people can generally do a pretty good job of determining what's good and what's not. As far as best original song goes, I think it's a shame that only two of them are getting performed. But I think it's the two that are the frontrunners for this. And that's Shallow from A Star Is Born. Yeah, so good. And all the stars from Black Panther. I've listened to all five. I think the by far the worst is RBG's I'll Fight. I just I don't think it's a good song. So For Mary Poppins, the place where lost things go, I think it's okay, but I don't think it was the best song from that movie, actually. Maybe all those things that you love so are waiting in the place where the lost things go. I think Can You Imagine That is a personal favorite. I think that deserves more consideration. The Buster Scruggs song is kind of interesting. It's a very folksy song. A song that I think 
had Buster Scruggs been a much better, maybe traditional Western movie, this would get a lot of consideration. Yeah. Because it definitely has that vibe. But for sure, the two performers that we will see are the two frontrunners. And I would probably give it to Shallow, A Star is Born, because so much of that movie is based around music. And they really needed a hit to tie everything together. And I think they did that. Yeah. And I mean, just speaking on a personal note, uh, Shallow's been stuck in my head for like four straight months. So... (laughs) What did you? What would you have preferred for Mary Poppins? I would have said, yeah, either um, "Can You Imagine That" or the song that closes out the movie. Um, There's nowhere to go but up. Um, right. I this is like, an odd choice, eh? Like, yeah, why this song? Why the the original song category in general has been a bit of a contentious one in previous years as well. You know, the the means by which right. they select the uh, the shortlist and um, eligibility and stuff. That's politics. Been, oh yeah, there's been all kinds of. All kinds of issues. And then, you know, even in the case of the the performance that you mentioned at the telecast, both Shallow and All the Stars come from the same uh, record label, uh, Interscope. Uh, so there's a, already accusations that uh, that Interscope was kind of lining the pockets of ABC. Ooh, to, uh, I like this. Uh, you know, so more intrigue. Right? Yeah, I like it. I like it. I didn't know that. Thanks for bringing that up. Best score. I like this one because I love music and sound in movies, unless the whole point is to not have sound. So the three kind of standouts for me are Black Klansman, which is scored by Terrence Blanchard. If Beale Street Could Talk, which is done by Nicholas Bertel, who also did mm-hmm. Moonlight with Barry Jenkins. So that's like a pairing, like a potential Nolan Zimmer pairing right, that you might right. see a lot more down the road. And Black Panther, which is done by Ludwig Gorenson, who did Fruitvale Station, Creed 1 and 2. Not coincidentally, all of them have Michael B. Jordan. But I would pick Black Klansman. I think the music and the theme in that movie really uh, stuck with me the longest. Um, It's very unique and distinct, and I hope it wins. I think it edges Beale Street. Beale Street has quiet moments where um, the soundtrack kind of disappears from the movie once in a Mm -hmm. while until you reminded me again. So I like Black Klansman in this one. Uh, yeah, I feel like it, if I were to pick the likely winner, it'd probably be Black Klansman. As much as I liked Gorenson's stuff in Kugler's other movies like Fruitvale Station and um, and Creed, I yes. I don't remember much of the score in Black Panther. Um, yeah, the I feel like yeah. that's a larger problem with Marvel movies in general. There's been a few good video essays about that, but right. the but they do have a good song. Which song? The one they're nominated for, <laughs> All the Stars. <laughs> But that's a Kendrick Lamar song. I mean, that that song, I feel like that song would have existed on its own with or without Black Panther. Uh, maybe. I mean, in the past, I think the Academy has been more open to pop music and artists doing songs for mainstream films. Eminem started it, so. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Gorenson's stuff is less uh, connected to the All the Stars track. They, they are independent for sure, but yeah. they definitely share similar sounds, I would say that. In terms of preference... I love I Love Dogs, um, again, to sound like a broken record, um, no pun intended, but uh, Alexander Despa has already won before, I'm pretty sure, so uh, he's not really a contender in, in any meaningful way, but uh, I do uh, I do really like the score for that movie. Two other categories I actually like, because this really depends on your ability to judge these things, but I feel like if you watch enough film and you've hung around theater and you've seen props enough, you know how to pick these. Um, best costume, Black Panther, Mary Poppins, The Favorite. Mm-hmm. Ballad of Buster Scruggs, 
and Mary, Queen of Scots. In this category, you'll always get period pieces. People love these frilly dresses and corsets. Yes. Um, the problem with that is really hard to stand out because it's it's all the same. So for me, the the two sort of non-period ones that stand out to me are Black Panther and Mary Poppins. And I think I would give this to Black Panther just because of the colors they use, the Afrocentrism they managed to pull off. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I totally agree. Black Panther is the only movie that I've seen in recent years that has actually prompted people to come to the movie screenings dressed up with <laughs> costumes. You know, who people who are not. Wait, what, what What about the Star Wars movies? What do you call those? No, no, no. But I mean, we're talking about uh, there's a difference between people who are like cosplayers who go to conventions and build very elaborate costumes uh, as uh-huh. part of the cosplay community. And then people who aren't cosplayers but still dressed up for black panther screenings because for them the oh i see what uh, you get the kind of spotlight that the movie shines on yeah. uh, on the culture uh, the afrocentrism culture really spoke to them and they felt that they should buy some very bright african prints and go to the movie screening dressed up so i feel like it it extended beyond the typical community that would dress up for a movie Best production design black panther again mary poppins again plus roma first man and the favorite I am a little hesitant to pick Black Panther for both categories. I don't know how often that happens, but I think if I had to pick one, I'd probably pick Black Panther for this one again as well. This one, I think they're more likely to win than Best Costume, which could go to Mary Poppins. First Man is a dark horse in this one. I like space movies and the whole sort of feel that they set up for the entire film. I would go with uh, with Roma, actually, for this one. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, not because it connected with me more than the others, but um, uh, from what I've heard of, like what Quaron had to do on set to actually build some of his uh, his scenes, like he had to construct whole, like basically uh, city blocks mm. of nineteen uh, seventies Mexico City uh, to pull off some of his stuff, which is very much in his wheelhouse. You know, that he he did similar feats of production design for Gravity. So I feel like if if Roma's picking up ca- uh, awards in other categories, might grab this one too. And the final one, visual effects, Infinity War, First Man, Ready Player One, Solo, and Christopher Robin. Now, I have one question for you, Rob. All right. Visual effects usually refers to like CGI and computer graphics and animation, right? But what about practical effects? Should Mission Impossible Fallout get consideration in this one? I mean, the fact that Mission Impossible Fallout isn't anywhere in any of these categories is already a shame. Um, so <laughs> I agree with you. So what's what's up with that? Um, I don't know. I mean, again, I think this is a similar issue to the one that we were talking about previously about best animated feature, where you've kind of got a category that's dominated by a certain type of creative professional. Yes. And, you know, they're going to vote for things that they themselves as professionals find outstanding. Mm -hmm. Maybe things that the average like viewer of a movie looks over looks past because they're you know there's in the story of the film they're watching the film they they can't recognize all of the craft in a particular shot or uh, or sequence if you're gonna have first man in here why can't you have fallout because well first man is a serious drama <laughs> i guess but i mean i i think there's some cgi in first man for sure but a lot of that is practical effects too like it was ryan gosling in a spacesuit sure i think fallout get snubbed here i don't understand it i mean if i had to pick something it'd probably be infinity war because i think the characters look either rather good actually i don't think ready player one has a shot and i don't think solo has a shot no so christopher robin maybe but 
this category again the nominees kind of baffle me <laughs> yeah it is it, uh, like like so many of the other craft categories this year there, it's it's a weird collection of of nominees and it's gonna be hard to pick one more reason why i don't put this one in my predictions list <laughs> You're just interested in trying to get 100%. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah. So if anyone's listening and you want to place bets on these things, maybe go with Rob. I did actually do, uh, I, I had an office uh, Oscar pool one year that I that I won, so I'm still very, very pleased by that. Well, I mean, that's not even fair, because I doubt anyone in your office knows as much as you. Well, yeah, I had a totally unfair advantage, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there, rigged system, doesn't work. Yeah. Um, what do you feel about not having a host? I think, actually, they should have done this ages ago. <laughs> I'm pleasantly intrigued by it. I feel yeah. like... Just have a bunch of presenters. That's all you need. Uh, yeah, it kind of gets to the meat of why people are watching to begin with. Some people will say that they love the host monologue every year, but I feel like it eats up time. And and also, it's too much pressure. No one wants to do it because you never get praise for it. All you do is get shit on. Yeah, totally. Uh, half of the, the articles that get posted the day after the telecast are just like, oh, did so-and-so do a good job? Were their jokes appropriate? Were they not appropriate? Like, Yeah, you're you nitpicked know. to bits. Who wants to do that? Yeah, so I, I don't blame... Uh, uh, the industry at large for uh, not producing someone who is uh, kind of a sucker for punishment uh, on that. But yeah, we'll, we'll have to see the, uh, I would almost say that like the time that they're going to save by not having a host could have probably been reallocated to some of the craft categories that are going to be announced during the commercial breaks. A hundred percent agree. And you know what? You're going to have saved so much time with the host not there. Why not perform all five original songs like you used to? Yeah. Like, it, that's so, it's so, such a good idea. Like, I'd rather see performances and the awards rather than some dude talking. Like, the Academy is clueless. They don't understand what people want to see on TV. I think the fact that it goes on for too long is a byproduct of Hollywood just taking way too long and way too much time to congratulate itself every time you know in recent years they've tried stunts like you know the uh, the selfie uh that Ellen DeGeneres shot that ended up going on to be like broke a record on twitter um and then the year after that it was eight minutes of cringe i like the DeGeneres one because at least it felt reasonably authentic but then but it was still like obvious product placement because she was using a very particular phone and blah 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 then they tried to follow that up with that uh kimmel stunt where he took a bunch of stars over to a nearby movie theater and uh got them to pose for photos like that idea was fine but the segment went on for like 15 minutes and it just it wore out its welcome really quick yeah boring as hell Nothing worse than like parading out people like they're zoo animals and watching it on TV and just being like, how do you feel about this, people? So we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, the uh, like I said, there's still a lot of guilds that have yet to announce their awards. So it's probably the uh, our front runners and our dark horses will shift a little bit in the coming weeks. Um, but uh, you can definitely keep an eye out on kinescope.ca for uh, my official official predictions. Um, again, a, a truncated list of the uh, the total award categories, but uh, maybe it'll help you win your Oscar pool, and then I'll have done some uh, some good service. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, yep that uh, that about does it for this episode. 
Um, head on over to kinetoscope.ca where we've got uh, a new review of M. Night Shyamalan's Glass, which we touched on in the, the opening of this episode. So if you want to yell at me for being wrong about that, uh, please do. Uh, <laughs> I welcome your opposition. And of course, we will have more coverage of uh, the Oscars as we get closer to the telecast, including my predictions episode. And uh, also don't forget to check out uh, Jason's review of Bohemian Rhapsody, which we posted recently. Uh, but do you want to close us out? Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Extra Buttery. You can find us online, kinetoscope.ca. You can email us at kinetoscopereviews at gmail.com. You can find us both on Twitter, jrobertsnow at jasonchen16. And we'll talk to you in two weeks' time. Thanks.